Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. In our last episode, we talked about how to manage our anxiety and take care of our mental health in this unsettling time of COVID-19. I said it then, and I'll say it again. We're all in this together. Maintaining physical distance now does not mean you have to feel alone. For many people dealing with substance use disorders and recovering from addiction, the new reality of COVID-19 can be especially challenging. People may find themselves struggling to avoid relapse. The physical distancing we have to practice to protect ourselves from the coronavirus can also result in barriers to treatment that people rely on to manage their addictions and even to stay alive. The support groups they depend on can no longer meet in person. It's all pretty overwhelming when just living day-to-day was already a battle in itself. So today on The Dose, we're tackling the question, how can I manage my addiction during COVID-19? We're going to pick up right where we left off the last time, speaking with Dr. Peter Selby, Chief of Medicine for the Psychiatry Division at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, or CAMH, in Toronto. Dr. Selby, you have a specialty in treating people with addictions and substance use Mm -hmm. disorders. This is a group of people who are vulnerable, who are unfortunately sometimes forgotten. Uh, Tell me about the challenges they're facing right now with COVID-19. So there are several challenges. It's it's just amplified, right? People with addictions tend to get stigmatized for having an addiction. And then within addictions, they get stigmatized if they, for example, have an opioid use disorder and are taking the, you know, the treat, the life-saving treatment that is either buprenorphine or methadone. Uh, they and their providers are further stigmatized. So that's uh, one group that is facing it. And then there are other groups who are doing really well with uh, recovery-oriented approaches. And often those treatments are group treatments. So all of those have been stopped and people have not been able to do that, whether professionally or through things like AA, uh, where those meetings have been shut down. So the good thing is that there's a possibility of virtual meeting spaces. And so the many AA groups have sprung up. And one of my patients told me, in fact, he's now able to attend more meetings than he was able to in person and is able to connect with his sponsor by phone. So, But that's one person. What about the people who don't have access to technology to be able to compensate for that lack of a church basement? And, and, and how do they do that? And then for all those people who aren't in treatment per se, but need access to a safe supply, for example, if the liquor supply, uh, you know, suddenly drops dramatically in the city, people who've been maintaining their alcohol use disorder are going to find themselves in withdrawal. And guess where they land up? They land up with a seizure or they land up in the emergency room uh, or they land up in, in detoxes, which are not equipped medically to manage and protect them for with uh, from uh, from COVID. So, so they are really vulnerable populations or people who are injection drug users and are using consumption sites. Uh, there are clear issues there for people uh, with their addictions, and and they are highly vulnerable because they have high levels of smoking uh, and and high levels of COPD, all pre-existing conditions that make them highly highly medically vulnerable to the effects of COVID. So. 
you know, this is a population that we really need to think about. Um, yeah. And, and you, know, you know, to the point that you've been talking about working in the emergency department, I think a lot of people were surprised, for instance, when the Ontario government, when, when Premier Doug Ford announced that the uh, Liquor Control Board uh, outlets would remain open, what were we doing this for? Well, I can, I can tell you, I treat, I see and treat people with, uh, in alcohol withdrawal, ethanol withdrawal yeah. all the time. And, yeah. and if we suddenly had a lot of people having seizures because they, and they can, they can have epileptic seizures right. if, they, if they withdraw, right. that that's a catastrophe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And imagine now you're putting somebody in a position where they may need intubation, etc. All things that aerosolize the virus. So, so first of all, this is preventable. Uh, secondly, you know, you don't want to suddenly cut off people from their supply of, which is clean, because yes, withdrawal is one thing, but then now people start making moonshine, and now you're going to have your methanol poisoning problems come up. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to, you you know, I know people who've not experienced, uh, you know, uh, homelessness or not, uh, don't understand uh, this population. They're saying, well, how come LCBO is, a, is an essential service? Well, it may not be an essential service for people who don't have a problem, but clearly for those who do, in one way it is because, um, uh, the, you know, you're getting a clean supply of alcohol. And, and and similarly, we haven't yet figured out a clean supply for people who might have need for prescription opioids um, because the street supply is is fairly contaminated. So it's uh, it's one epidemic upon another. Um, and, and and we need to think about how, how do we take care of the, the most marginalized in our, in our population. It's, you know, um, that is that is a concern of mine. Absolutely. And for those of uh, for those who are listening who live outside the province of Ontario, LCBO Liquor Control Board of Ontario. These are the licensed uh, outlets that 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 sell that sell alcohol and and various uh, spirits in various forms. But I want to I want to ask uh, a follow up question. Uh, you you were mentioning you're concerned about uh, about uh, patients who have an opioid use disorder maintaining their mm-hmm. supply of suboxone and methadone. And of course, we're still in the midst of an opioid crisis. That hasn't changed. That's so. What are yep. the challenges uh, around getting meds like Suboxone and Methadone to those who need it? So these medications require supervision, so which means they either have to go daily to the pharmacy or at least weekly or monthly to the pre- prescriber as well as the pharmacy provider, urine drug screen, all of these things requiring in-person visits. So many, many of us, and you know, including the OMA, including a, a community of practice in Ontario called Medify, and, and several people in both in the U.S. and Canada, uh, and we as CAMH have come up with guidance to say, okay, during this time, how do you how do you manage the rules that that govern you as a as a prescriber, but also pay attention and balance that with what the needs of the patients are during this unprecedented time. And and so that's one thing that has been worked on is how do people get access, make sure there's unlimited supply, getting people to think about, because there are so few prescribers of this, what happens if the prescriber gets sick? You don't want to have a patient stuck. So making sure that there's people who can cover for you as a prescriber. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we're talking about and making sure it's available. There's also a medication, which is an injection medication that has been approved in Canada uh, called Sublocade, which is available, uh, you know, for a monthly injection. So Sublocade is basically buprenorphine, which is part of Suboxone, currently available by a sublingual tablet or a film. And it quells the withdrawal, but also quells the cravings. Usually it's dosed every 24 hours. What it does is it protects people from uh, overdose and it allows people to function. The innovation, which is Sublocade, which is a brand name, is an injection that goes under the skin 
and essentially is given uh, pretty much once a month uh, after you know people can tolerate the sublingual tablet uh, for a week. And then basically they don't have to you know, come in that regularly and you can certainly provide them telephonic counseling support. Why is that especially important as a substitute for Suboxone during this time in particular? The important thing is that you can give it as an injection under the skin once a month. When people take that injection under the skin once a month, then they don't have to go to the pharmacy weekly or otherwise to and don't have to remember to take pills. And those pills are, you know, you, you, you don't have to worry about people um, uh, getting that dose. And so that's the advantage of it is that it allows for people uh, to be able to maintain their physical distance while still getting that treatment. You know, and so that's one reason why I think it's a really critical uh medication that we need on the market. It's, it's available on the market, but made, made available to people who can't pay for it, uh, either through the company donating it or the uh, Ontario Drug Benefit or any uh, provincial formulary covering it ASAP. Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives in big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. And, and you know, before before we depart this particular part of the discussion, um, part of, uh, you know, one of the things we've been we've been teaching uh, people uh, to act as first responders uh, and bystanders is to administer naloxone. And, and that yes. involves bridging the social distance, doesn't it? That's right. Well, it certainly does. And I don't think we've come up with a with a solution of how do you, you know, with somebody who's overdosing, how do you give them uh, you know, give them the naloxone and make sure you, you protect yourself. I mean, we always say when you're responding to somebody else is protect yourself first. Make sure it's safe to do so um, and then get it in. And maybe for you, it might be call 911 first and then and then figure out a safe way to give it without making sure you're exposed. And then, you know, uh, if you do get exposed and follow the guidance that's there uh, in um, in public health. You know, maybe we have to dispense a mask along with the kit. And just put that mask right on that person, mm-hmm. and 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 then immediately yeah. give the naloxone. Maybe that's something that we can do that might uh, that might uh, uh, help solve that that particular issue. Yeah, and you know, I, and I, I hear you, but with the shortage of masks that we are facing, uh, how do we even source the masks in the first place? And yeah. and so this is the this is the challenge. I mean, I I think if we if we are able to actually have them, absolutely, we should be you know we should be putting them out there. Um, yeah, and the question is, what are some of the you know possibilities there? Because we know what is happening in terms of the spread in the community and, and, and healthcare workers. I mean, we really also want to make sure that healthcare workers and peer workers are not themselves getting taken offline because of COVID. Um, need to protect the people who are going to care of the people who are sick, right? It just shows you that the ripple effects are enormous, and we just keep finding new challenges uh, to help us deal with COVID. Um, any words of support or advice for people struggling with addiction issues at this time? Uh, you know, this can be a stressful time, and we know stress as a as a as a as a uh, precipitating factor for relapse. 
so if you are in recovery, make sure you amplify your whatever your recovery activities that you've learned, you know, include them. Do not consider the just one option uh, because that can will precipitate this back in a state of stress. If you start using even just one, your brain is much more likely to go back to full blown, even though you may not do it the first time you pick it up. Uh, you know, reach out to your providers, your, your professional providers and your and your social providers and including your mutual health groups. Uh, for those who are not in recovery, I would say seek help at this time as much as possible and start, uh, you know, tapering yourself up. Do not engage in sudden reductions of, of, of alcohol, for example, because that will cause a seizure. And if you are going to do it, do it under supervision and let people know what you're doing. Um, and there is treatment for that. So get treatment for that if you're trying to taper off during this time and, and moderate the amount you're using. Uh, and similarly, you know, if you are on a, on an agonist treatment like buprenorphine methadone, uh, speak to your provider about what is expected of you and, and what can you can expect of them uh, and how you're going to keep them, yourself safe and them safe during this time. Uh, similarly, if you're, you know, you're, you're, you use tobacco, definitely, uh, you know, switch to a safer form of nicotine replacement. We know that people who smoke are potentially at higher risk for most lung infections. It's controversial of whether your risk is worse with, for COVID, but there's some indication it might be. Uh, but certainly, you know, if you're, you, you pay attention to that and, and, and there's treatment out there, there's clean nicotine supplies that are available over the counter that you can use. Um, and so, so along the spectrum of substance use from, from harm reduction all the way to, to recovery, uh, uh, use that. It is controversial right now whether vaping is or isn't. There are some people who feel vaping may make it worse. Clearly, kids should not be sharing their vaping devices with each other or their cigarettes or any paraphernalia. Uh, anybody shouldn't be sharing paraphernalia at this time for this purpose. Uh, but those are kind of the, the range of responses that I would say to people in the addiction spectrum from not ready to stop, currently using all the way to people who are in recovery. Um, we've talked about a lot of important things and we're just about out of time, but what's the bottom line for getting through this crisis while staying mentally healthy? The bottom line is remember that this is potentially a fraction of the time of your lifespan where we are going through this and keep that in mind. Uh, and so stay positive, focus on putting one foot in front of the other and then the next one. And, and, and keep sh making sure that you are getting sleep, eating well, and connecting emotionally with somebody, even though if you have to do it through a physically distant mechanism. We've been talking about what Canadians need to do and people who are listening to this around the world, but uh, how are you doing? How, how are you coping and you and your colleagues coping with the demand for more and more services at, at places like the Center for Addiction and Mental Health? So I think there's community coming in. Uh, I think we tap into things like altruism. Clearly, that's why we went into medicine in the first place. Uh, we look out for each other. So we have regular touch-based meetings, phone calls. I know from my team, I'm making phone calls to them as, as, a, as a leader to check in on them, see what's happening, uh, offering whatever support that I can, to, I, I can. I know they are reaching out to each other uh, and, and making sure that we are not forgetting our humanity during this time. Uh, and that and that it's okay to to be afraid and be a bit concerned, but uh, as you said earlier, we are all in this together, and we need to hold. You know, we are here for each other. And if somebody needs to tap out for a bit, 
allow them to tap out for a bit and come back online as soon as possible. Uh, make sure we're making uh, resources available to them for their own mental health. Um, and that's how we're coping. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think there's a good recipe book for this. I think we have to pay attention to each individual, listen, and and come up with resources uh, in real time as 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 we see them. Well, I hope that that finite time that you've talked about is as small as possible, uh, as short as possible. Uh, Dr. Peter <laughs> Selby uh, from the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, uh, thank you so much for speaking with us on The Dose. Take care. Bye now. Thanks. You, you too. That was Dr. Peter Selby from the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice on managing your addiction during COVID-19. If you're dependent on alcohol, nicotine, or even opioids, this is not the best time to quit cold turkey. If you smoke cigarettes, now would be a good time to try nicotine patches and other replacement therapies. For people dependent on opioids, methadone and suboxone are vital to reducing cravings and withdrawal symptoms. Sublocate is a new and much longer acting form of suboxone that can be taken just once a month as an injection. If it becomes widely available, it could reduce the spread of COVID-19 by reducing the number of times patients have to visit the pharmacy or clinic to pick up tablets. For those who struggle with addiction, the health consequences are real and serious. If they can't get the support they need, they'll end up in emergency departments that are increasingly busy with COVID-19. And don't forget that people with addictions are vulnerable to infections, including coronavirus. People who struggle with addiction learn to take things one day at a time. Funny that, in the time of COVID-19, that's something all of us have in common. We know you have lots more questions about COVID-19 and other things. Let us know what they are and we'll do our best to get you the answers you're looking for. Email the dose at cbc.ca or tweet me at nightshiftmd or the show at cbcwhitecoat. Use the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and myself with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical support. Thanks to Arif Narani, Executive Director of CBC Podcasts, Leslie Merklinger, Head of Audio Innovation at CBC, and Alison Broddle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Golden. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.